0: Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. Uh, this episode is a couple of weeks late. I uh, went on vacation, and then we had the hurricane come through. But we're continuing in our series on Mark four, the parable of the sower, parables of the soils, and uh, this is our second message in this series, and it is entitled "Relationship," or if I had to give it another title, it would be "What's the Plan." Please enjoy. Mark chapter 4. And uh, we've uh, started a series, a four-week series. We started it last week. And we're going to be in this parable for four weeks um, because uh, Jesus said that there's, there's something in here that He wants us to catch. Uh, Mark chapter 4. If you have your places in Mark chapter 4, one last time I'm going to invite you to stand Respect and reverence to the Word of God. We'll read our Scripture, pray, and sit back down. Verse 16 and 17 is all we'll read today. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, they immediately fall away. So the title of the... We're going to talk about this next stage of relationship, but if I have to give it another title, the title of the message would be, What's the Plan? What's the Plan? Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come to You and we ask You to meet with us this morning. I pray that the Word of God speak to us today. I pray the Word of God cleanses our hearts, Lord, and that it gets inside of us and we begin to grow. Lord, help us to fall in love with this book today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So what we said last week is there's an icon on a map, and it's called You Are Here. And what that icon does is it it helps you get... From where you are to where you wanna be. And so that is the purpose of that you are here icon. Now, Jesus said, um, if you don't, when we read this last week, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how are you gonna understand the rest of them? You have to understand this one. You can't understand anything else until you understand this. And what I said is you could look at, you look, look at this parable as the four stages of, of people attending church. These are four groups of people that are attending church. This first group of people right here, we said they're exploring God. They're, they're, they're unsaved, but they're, they're, they're coming here. They're coming to church. They're exploring God. They're feeling God out but they have not discovered that next step that's going to take them into a relationship with God. And that step, we said, was grace. You see, people in this stage, this first stage of exploring God, they still think they can work their way to heaven. They have not discovered grace that will take them into a relationship with God. And once you understand grace, that it's nothing you can work for, it's nothing you deserve, There's nothing you can do for it. It's a free gift. That's what grace is. Then you come into the next stage. And while this first stage is called exploring God, we're going to call this second stage beginning in God. You're a brand new Christian. You're a brand new baby Christian. You are beginning in God. And then we talked about a third stage where you're close to God. These are people who are closer to God. They understand they have to pay a price to get close to God. And then we talked about this final stage. And this final stage is we're going to call God-centered. Now, we gave all four of these stages a name. This first stage was called fellowship. Because people, they're fellowshipping with us, even though they have not gotten saved yet. They're still coming to church. They're fellowshipping with us. Okay, they're exploring God. The second stage we call relationship. So you enter into a relationship with God. The third stage we're calling discipleship. Being close to God, costs something. And then this final stage is called lordship. Now, there's a lot of ships up here. And God wants you to abandon ship. Uh, The devil. God didn't want you to do that. The devil wants you to abandon ship. That's what the enemy wants of you. All four of these stages are growing. Even the lost. They're not growing spiritually. They are spiritually dead. You cannot grow spiritually as a lost person. But you can grow in your understanding of God. At this final stage of lordship, you're also growing. When you get here, you have not arrived. The day that you quit growing in this stage, you fall back down the ladder. You have to continually be growing. But what, what, what I want to show you today is that we're talking about four stages. But we're only talking about three steps. If you'll see, I've got four fingers here, but there's three gaps in between each finger. So we've got one, two, three. So we've got four stages and three steps. The three steps, the first one we already talked about, that's grace. Now once you get to relationship, what's going to take you to discipleship? That step is called God's Word. God's Word is what's going to take you here. So we've got grace, we've got God's Word, and then we've got this final step. I'm going to tell you what it is. Don't throw tomatoes at me. Don't throw lettuce at, heads of lettuce and cabbage at me, okay? Give me a chance to explain it before you start chunking vegetables at me. So we've got grace. We've got God's Word. And this final step is giving. I'm not after your money. I promise you that. I'm not after your money. I'm not here trying to tell you you got to empty your pocketbook. That's not what it is. Finance is a part of it but it's actually a very small part. When I say giving, I'm talking about giving your life to God. I'm talking about giving yourself wholly over to the family of God. So we've got grace, we've got God's Word, and we've got giving. I want you to understand that uh, what we're talking about is overcoming an enemy. This whole parable... This whole process of our growth in God is about overcoming an enemy. The enemy attacks me and you by attacking the Word of God. That's how he attacks us. I said that's how he attacked Eve in the garden. He attacked the Word of God. That's how he attacked Jesus in the wilderness. He attacked using the Word of God. This is his M.O. He attacks us by attacking the Word. In Mark chapter 4, it tells us that the enemy is trying to steal the Word. The enemy, enemy wants to persecute the Word. The enemy wants to choke the Word. But we need to accept the Word. So this is all about what, what did Jesus say the seed was? The Word of God. That's what the seed is. So remember, there are four stages on this map four locations on this map, but there are three steps: grace, God's word, and giving. And to that, I want to read for you Revelation 12:11. It says, "And they overcame him who's him, the enemy." Okay, how did they overcome the enemy? Because of the blood of the lamb, that's grace. Because of the word of their testimony, that's God's word. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. That's giving. So we've got an enemy. we got to overcome him. How are we going to overcome him? The blood of the lamb. That's grace. You do not get saved until you understand you can't earn it. It is grace. It is a free gift for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a free gift. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of grace. Then it says, because of the word of their testimony. Who, who was their testimony in? It was Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the word of God. And what is the word of their testimony? It's the word of God. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. In the end, they gave everything to the Father. They gave everything to God. They gave everything to Jesus. And if you want to be here in this lordship phase, we have to learn that. We have to learn to give everything to Him. Now, let's go back to our scripture, Mark 4, 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, then immediately they fall away. How many people have we seen in church over the years? They make a profession of faith, they start coming to church, throwing fire for God, but then um, they fall away. We, we see that a lot. Something happens. The, the, the job situation hap- uh, changes. They get mad at somebody over something, and instead of going to that person and and working it out, they just quit. We see that their root is in their parents. So when they age out, they quit coming. Their root is in a Christian friend, and that doesn't last. Their root is in a pastor, and then the pastor leaves, or they get mad at the pastor over something he said, and and, and then they leave. And, And it may seem like the tiniest bit of problem or crossword, and they just give up. And to me and you, it may seem like the tiniest, littlest of reasons... But Jesus explains to us here that there's something deeper going on. There's something deeper going on here. Christ reveals that to us. Christ reveals to us the real reason why they fell away. And the real reason why they fell away, it it was persecution for the Word's sake. In other words, their faith was tested and they failed the test. Their faith was tested, and they failed the test. Now once again, uh, you know, is this parable mostly just about lost people? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. Listen, I'm not saying that the parable of the sower doesn't apply to evangelism, but for far too long... Christians have looked at this parable and said, oh, well, these first three are just about the lost and I know I'm saved, so I'm not in these first three. I'm in this last group down here, so I'm already here because I'm saved. These other three stages, they don't apply to me, and so much of it does. And for far too long, Christians have ignored this parable because they think that it does not apply to them. What is this parable about? This parable is about how each person reacts to the Word. That's what this parable is about. Do lost people do this stuff? Yes. But guess what? Saved people do it too. This is about how we react to the Word. And for Christians, these are four levels of our growth as a Christian. These These are our levels of growth. In fact, in fact, at the end of verse 17 what it says about this second group it says this second group fell away did you know that there's another group of people that Jesus said would fall away he even said it in this same book in mark Jesus told us of another group of people who would fall away let me read you the verse mark 14:27 Jesus is about to tell us about another group of people who fall away. And Jesus said to them, who is them? The apostles. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. Peter looked at Jesus and said, Man, I ain't going to fall away. I'm not doing that. And then Jesus looked at Peter and said, before the rooster crows this morning, you'll deny me three times. And he did. In John chapter 21, we see the disciples, they went back to commercial fishing. They had not been commercial fishing since before Jesus called them. They may have fished personally for food, but they had not done commercial fishing. They went back to commercial fishing because they had experienced persecution and they were depressed and they fell away. And they went out there and and, and they started commercial fishing again, going back to the old life. And Jesus had to show up on the shore, and Jesus had to, had to call them back because they had fell away. Let me tell you something, Christian. If the apostles can fall away, then me and you can too. If the apostles can fall away, then me and you as well can fall away. Don't worry. Peter eventually matured to a different place. Peter got to the point where he was beaten and he was thrown in prison and it didn't stifle him and it didn't slow him down and it didn't stop him. And as soon as he got out of prison, he started right back preaching, but he got to the point where persecution didn't bother him. In fact, Peter said in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Man, his, his attitude towards persecution kind of changed, didn't it? Something kind of something changed in Peter. It's almost like he had matured to a different place. Where does God want you? Christian, God wants to get you from root to fruit. He wants to get you from root to fruit. This is where He wants you. He wants you at fruit. So, there are two kind of questions here. There's one overall question of what's the plan, and then I've got two specific questions I want to answer this morning. Um, First question is this. What is Satan's plan? What is Satan's plan? So Satan, in this group number one, he steals the Word so that they will not be saved. Then He's going to persecute the Word, bring tribulation. Then He's going to choke the Word through the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Like I said, the, the, the battle's always against the Word. Look at Mark 4.4. 4. As He was sowing some seed... Fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. So the birds came. Well, brother, Brad don't, Brad, don't you understand that when the Bible says birds, it just means birds? It just means birds. Brad, why you gotta read anything into it? Really, it just means birds. Well, you know, they asked Jesus to explain this parable. And what did he say about the bird, birds in verse 15? These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Look, we talked about this last week. It it, it floored me when I realized that Satan had the ability to steal the word of God out of somebody's heart. That's amazing to me. And if Jesus hadn't have said it, if it hadn't been in the Bible, I wouldn't have believed it. But it's in there, and Jesus is the one that said it. It's in the red, the red letters. Okay. Satan has the ability to steal the word out of somebody's heart. But did you know that there's a verse in the Bible that will actually help me and you and, and prevent Satan from doing that? I'll, I'll get to that a little later. But when Jesus says this, He says, the birds of the air. Okay, so we all know that Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus spoke this parabolic language. Follow me, I don't want to lose you. This parabolic, symbolic language that the Bible speaks. The the Bible is a literal book. But the Bible is also a symbolic book. And the Bible will tell you when it's being symbolic. We just spent the last 10 months going through the book of Revelation. And it was a wonderful study. Uh, In two weeks, we're going to start a new study. We're going to go through the book of James on Wednesday nights. We're going to go expositionally, verse by verse, through the book of James. We'll start that in two weeks. But after going through Revelation for almost a year, what we can tell you is... The Bible uses symbolic language. The Bible uses this parabolic language. If the Bible, if the Bible, if Satan can convince us that the Bible doesn't apply to us, if he can convince us that most of the Bible doesn't apply to us, then he can keep us from growing. If he can convince you this most of this book is not to you, it's not for you, and it can't help you, then he can keep you from growing. That's his plan, okay? But what I think in this parable that Jesus says, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the rest of them, I think Jesus is showing us something in this parable that will help us study our Bible better. If you want to get from relationship to discipleship, you have got to fall in love with this book. You have to. God's word is the only way to do it, and I think Jesus is showing us something here that will help us study our Bibles better. OK, so Jesus spoke in parables. Everybody agreed? Now, in John 5:19, he says this: "Truly, truly, I say to you. The Son can do nothing of Himself unless He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. So if Jesus did it, His Father did it. And if Jesus does it one way, the Father did it the same way. The Father does what Jesus does, and and, and Jesus does the same thing the Father does in the same way. Okay, so if, if Jesus speaks in this parabolic language, when did the Father speak it? In the Old Testament. And in, in the Old Testament, listen, the Old Testament is true, but the Old Testament is also symbolic. Psalm 78:2, I will open my mouth in a parable. Let me give you an example. Let me read for you Ezekiel. Thirty twenty one. Okay, it says, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, did you know that we have no evidence in this book or any other book that God physically broke the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt? There's, there's no evidence of that. We, we see nowhere where Pharaoh's arm was literally broken, like Moses grabbed his arm and put it behind his back. If you don't let my people go and broke his arm, that didn't happen, okay? But, but the thing is, is that, that this is symbolic language. This is parabolic language. His arm didn't literally get broken. He's speaking symbolically right here. You see, the arm is a picture of strength and a picture of power. So when he's saying, I broke his arm, he's saying, I broke his strength. I broke his power. And look, the Bible does this a lot, actually. Did you know that this is a really, really Jewish book? Do you know that? This is a really, this is a really, really Jewish book. The Old Testament is a Jewish Bible, and the New Testament was written by Jewish Christians. Now listen, when me and you talk, we kind of get right to the point, okay? You know, sometimes when your child is telling you a story, you got to go ring around a Rosie ten times before you get to the point. Just, you know, get, get, get to the main event. That's what I'm waiting for. Go ahead and tell me the main event. Give, get, you know, give me the cliff notes version of this. So while me and you would rather just scrape to the point, Jews didn't talk like that. Jews want to make you think. Jews will tell you something and make you think and make you look on your own to try to find the answer. That's how they talk. Mark did that a lot. If you read the book of Mark, Mark is just like shotgun. He's just giving, throwing out facts, and he's giving you stuff that you're going to have to do the research on, and you're going to have to look up on your own. Mark talked a lot about that. John did that too. When John, uh, we talked about this in our Revelation study, when John wrote the book of Revelation, he assumed you'd already read the whole Old Testament. That's why he makes so many Old Testament references in the book of Revelation, because he assumes you've already read the rest of the book. So um, what the, the reason why I'm telling you all of this is because... When you understand the Bible speaks in this language, this book comes alive to you. This book jumps off the pages at you and it becomes real. And it's a great thing to know when you're, when you're beginning in God that this whole book applies to you. That you can apply this whole book to yourself. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to whet your appetite for the Word of God. I want to whet your appetite for the Word of God because it's the only way we're going to get from a baby Christian to a disciple is this book, okay? So Jesus said the birds come, okay? They asked what the birds were. Oh, well, you know, the birds are Satan. Now, when the Bible talks about Satan, he's not necessarily talking about Satan personally. You understand that Satan... Is not an eternal, is 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 not like an omniscient being. Satan is not an omnipresent being. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He doesn't know everything. He can't be every everywhere at once. Okay? But when he says Satan, he's talking about the power and influence of Satan. And when Satan fell, he brought a third of the angels with him. These are his demonic spirits that do his bidding. And this demon is Satan and his, dem- and, and his demons. That's what it's referencing. Jesus calls the bird... Uh, Matthew, I'm very dyslexic. So some of you will figure that out. Um, Matthew, uh, in Matthew, Jesus calls the birds of the air, uh, the, the evil one, actually calls them the wicked one. And in, in, in Mark... He calls the birds of the air Satan. And in Luke, he calls the birds of the air the devil. Do you think he's trying to tell us something about the birds of the air? I'm not talking about an actual bird. Don't go out to the tree and start shooting the birds because, oh, it's a demon. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about in the Bible. Okay, but do you think God's trying to tell us about um, uh, the birds of the air? Okay, Uh, Matthew 13, 31. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is, the, is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Isn't that so cute? Man, just the tree grew up, and the little birdies came in and built their little nesties, and the little birds go chirp, 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 and Mama gives them a little. Ne- uh, wouldn't Peter be so happy with this? This is such a pretty, pretty picture, doesn't it? Bless your little old heart. Just this nice picture of these birds. And you know, I've actually heard this preached so many times in a positive way. They get up and say, Man, the man, the kingdom of God is like a tree. And, and you build up the church, and then people come and, and build their homes in it. But what did Jesus say the birds were? Demons. See, the birds represent when the church, when, when the kingdom of God, when, when the church is, is built. Demonic spirits come in the church and try to destroy it. Demonic spirits come in the church and try to tear it apart because Jesus told us what the birds meant. Okay? Revelation 18, 2. And He cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen, is Babylon the great. She has become, listen to this, a dwelling place of demons. A a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. So it's become a place of demons, prison of spirits, prison of birds. It's not talking about actual birds. It's talking about demons. You see, John knew what the birds of the air meant because he heard Jesus teach on it. He also knew that because he had read Ezekiel, and he knew that because he had read Daniel. Did you know that in Daniel, Belshazzar has a dream that his kingdom is a big, illustrious tree? And it it, it gives so much, it's so big and so luxurious that in the dream the birds of the air come and find safety in its branches. And then God comes along in the tree and chops the tree down. And then Daniel said, that tree is your kingdom and it's going to be cut down tonight. Now, what did Jesus tell us birds of the air resting in the tree? Didn't He just teach us what that meant? That these demonic spirits, they found safety in His kingdom, but God is coming and He's going to cut down the tree. Now, like I said, I am not up here trying to tell you that Polly want a cracker or is a demon. Please don't go home and shoot your parakeet. Pop, pop. Don't do it, okay? Little Petey, the parakeet, is okay. All right? He's fine. I'm talking about the Bible. In this book, birds are symbolic of demonic spirits. Now, here's another verse in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, this chapter in Deuteronomy... It's talking about blessing. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to fall in love with your Bible. That's why I'm telling you this. In Deuteronomy, there's, there's a chapter, chapter 26, where you've got blessings and curses. And if you, if, if you follow God and obey God, then you get a blessing. But if you disobey God and you don't follow God, you get a curse. Deuteronomy 26, 28 says, your carcasses will be food to all the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. So if you if you fall away from God, if you walk away from God, it's gonna be Alfred Hitchcock, you're gonna be dodging birds. Okay, that's that that's not what that's not what's going on here. Mark chapter 4 tells us that the birds are Satan. And his demons. Now, you read there in that verse, it has birds and beasts of the earth together. Did you know in your Old Testament that birds and beasts are mentioned together 44 times? I'm going to actually show you a verse where it's very obvious that beasts of the earth is talking about demons. I'm fixing to show it to you. This is a very obvious verse. This is a verse that talks about God's sheep and God's shepherds. Again, this is parabolic language. This verse I'm going to read to you is not talking about literal sheep and literal shepherds. The sheep are God's people. Okay, Brett, how do you know that the sheep are God's people? Well, Psalms 103, know that the Lord Himself is God. He is He who has made us and not we ourselves We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Okay, so the sheep are God's people. John 10 tells us that He's the shepherd, and Corinthians tells us that pastors are the under-shepherd. Okay, so what this verse that I'm going to read to you is talking about, it's talking about God's people and pastors. Now listen to what happens when pastors don't feed the sheep. Ezekiel 34, 5. They, the sheep, were scattered for lack of a shepherd and they became food for every beast of the field that were scattered. Now, I know you're hot. I'm going to try to get through this quick. But listen to me. When people uh, go through this verse, here's what they say. Okay, the sheep, that's God's people. The shepherds, that's pastors. But the beasts of the field, those are lions and tigers and bears. No, they're not literal beasts. They're spiritual beasts. You have to look at the context here. Listen to me, Christian. They're spiritual beasts that want to come after you. They want to destroy you. Let me read you another verse where all of us agree that there's a spiritual language here, okay? And, and, and all you're going to know who I'm talking about as soon as I read it is Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Who's the serpent? Satan. How do you know that? Well, uh, we just know. Well, you know, I'm never going to tell you that something is something unless I give you book, chapter, verse, Okay? Uh, Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. Okay? So we understand that with this serpent, there's a spiritual aspect of this where that serpent is Satan. Do you realize in Genesis chapter 3, it never says Satan one time? Not once. In that chapter does it say Satan? But we know who the serpent is, don't we? We know who the serpent is. So we agree that the serpent is Satan, right? We agree that when it says serpent, there is a spiritual meaning behind that word. So would it stand to reason that there's another spiritual meaning in this verse? So could it mean that when it says the serpent is more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, could it be also be telling us that Satan is the most cunning of all the fallen angels? There is a lot in this book that we have not seen. There is a lot in this book that we have not seen. Very quickly, let me run through these. I know you're hot. Isaiah 4, one. For seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name and take away our reproach. Now, didn't that just bless you? That blessed your soul, man. That's one of those verses you read before you go to bed and you're like, What in the world did I just read? You know, that's, that's one of those verses. And, and when we read a verse like that, we tend to think, well, man, this does not apply to me. But is it talking about several literal women? Well, if you look in the context of Isaiah, the passage in Isaiah, he's not. In the ver- this is verse 1. In the very next verse, in verse 2, he's talking about the branch of the Lord, the Messiah, and calls him a branch. Now, was Jesus... A sycamore branch that fell off a tree, and Jesus is a sycamore branch walking around. No, so this isn't literal, this is that parabolic symbolic language. Okay, um, now I want you to, un- when you understand that there are types and shadows in the Bible, it means more to you. Women, did you know in the Bible women represent churches? Okay, the church. Is the bride of Christ. All through the Old Testament, there are brides that are pictures of the church. Did you know that, that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it talks about seven women, seven churches, and those churches represent the end time church leading up to the last days? Okay? And then it says in the verse, it says, in the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? You read in context, it's talking about the last day. It's talking about the day of the Lord's wrath. Now, who's the one man? Well, we know it's Jesus because the very next verse tells us the one man is the Messiah. So what are these people saying? They're saying to him, these, these churches are saying to Jesus, that we want to eat our own food and wear our own apparel. They're saying we want to eat our own food, meaning we want to teach our own doctrine, and we want to have our own form of righteousness. In the Bible, clothing is always considered righteousness. You are clothed in righteousness. You are robed in righteousness. So what these churches are saying to Jesus Jesus, we, 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 we want to be called Christians and we still want you to take us to heaven. We still want you to uh, to 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 take away our reproach. But Jesus, we're going to teach our own doctrines and we're going to have our own form of righteousness. But we still want you to take care of us. We still want you to call us Christians. We still want to be called by your name. God, you've got to understand something, is that God's culture is changing. And what was wrong 40 years ago is not wrong today. Yes, it's still wrong. You don't get to teach your own doctrines. You don't get to wear your own righteousness and still be called a child of God. You don't get to do that. Churches can't, can't do that, can't do this and expect for Jesus they still take away your reproach. You can't do that. It's still wrong. Very quickly, uh, back to Leviticus 26. It says, when I break your staff of bread. Now, right now, you ought to be thinking, what is bread? Bread's the word of God. For a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He's saying, he's saying I'm going to cut off your revelation. Read it. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven and they will bring back your bread in rations amounts so that you will eat and not be satisfied. Leviticus 26 is for the children of Israel. He says, if you disobey me, I'm going to bring famine on your lamb. That's how I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to bring a famine. That's how God said He was going to punish Israel. God tells us today He's going to punish us a different way. If you want to know how He's going to punish us, you read Romans chapter 1. He'll give us over to our own filthiness, give us over to our own unrighteousness. But for Israel, He said, I'm going to give you a famine. That is how I'm going to punish you. And, And what it's saying here is that ten women had so little bread that they could cook all their bread in one oven. Now, before the famine, each Jewish woman had their own oven, and they only baked bread once a week. So one time a week, they would bake all the bread they needed for their family for that whole week once. But now, the food is so scarce that ten women can fit the bread for their family in one oven. That's what this, uh, th- this verse is trying to say. So we read that and we we'll say, Ah, oh, this is for Israel. This doesn't apply to me. I-, I can't get anything out of this. This is not for us. Well, my Bible says all Scripture is given for inf- is inspiration and is profitable for teaching. All of it. You see... Once you understand the context of a passage, you can take a spiritual truth in that verse and apply it to your life. Could this verse be saying to us that when the church walks away from God, when they have their own form of holiness, their own form of righteousness, they have their own doctrines, they disobey the commands of God, he says, I'm cutting off your revelation. It's going to be dry for you. Now, this number 10, in context, it means many. Okay, so what's going to happen is lots of different churches are going to prepare your Bible lessons in one oven. In one oven. And, and, and all your bread is going to come from one place. It's going to come from one oven. And what they'll do is they're going to ration you a little bit each week. And, and it won't get deep. And it won't offend anybody. And it'll it'll just scratch the surface. It'll be more self-help, self-improvement. It won't be gospel-centered. It'll be man-centered. But at least it'll be politically correct. And you will eat it and not be satisfied. That's good preaching right there. You will eat it and not be satisfied. You ever been in a church like that? I got my booklet that they gave me. Let me open it up. Oh, I get three scriptures this week. I get three verses this week. That's what I get. Or you're in a church and the lead pastor gets up and maybe he's got a bunch of satellite churches that are watching a screen and he reads one verse in the scripture and then he goes on for the next 30 minutes because how dare he go over 30 minutes. That's our attention span because that's how long sitcoms are. At least that's what they tell us, okay? 20 minutes if you take into consideration commercials, okay? But, uh, but you know, he goes on for the next few minutes and, 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 and he reads one verse, but then he gives you a do-it-yourself self-improvement lecture that the atheist that's sitting in the church stands up afterwards and says, That's why I love coming to this church. I don't believe in God, but I get so much out of this that helps me be a better person. Meanwhile, the Christians are starving for the Word of God. They're starving for it. They're not satisfied. Satan's plan is for for it to starve you from the Word of God. That's his plan. He steals it. He persecutes it. He chokes it. He wants to starve you for the word of God. And when people get to this first stage of relationship, they get to the stage of of a baby Christian. and, 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 And the problem is, is they neglect to develop a taste, to develop a hunger, to develop a desire, to develop a thirst for the word of God. That's what they neglect. So the Bible becomes boring to you, and you don't take in enough Bible. You're not interested in the Bible. And then Satan comes along and persecutes you, and you don't have enough of the Word of God in you to stand up to that because your faith's not strong enough. That is Satan's plan. If he starves you from this book, you are too weak to fight. You do not have strong enough faith. The only way you can strengthen your faith is through this book. His plan is to starve you of the Word of God. Okay? So what's God's plan? Satan's plan is to keep us away from the book. What is God's plan? To see God's plan, you read Mark 4.20, which says, And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 60 and 100 fold god's plan for you is to bear fruit root to fruit the fruits of the he wants you to experience the fruits of the spirit he wants you to win people to jesus christ he wants you to be a testimony for him he wants you to spread the gospel He wants you to live in contentment and joy throughout your life. That is the fruit that he wants for you. Now, I want you to notice in this last phrase, some people had a little fruit. Some people had a lot of fruit. Some people had 30, 60, 100. What's God's plans for you? He didn't just want you to have fruit. He wants you to have a lot of fruit. Now, some people are just going to have a little. But he wants you to have a lot. He wants you to have a lot of fruit. But that only happens if you accept the word. Now listen, I do not miss being in school. I miss my buddies. I miss hanging out with my friends. But I do not miss schoolwork. No, indeed. Um, I used to hate writing papers. hated it. Now, i got a job where I write papers all the time. And God's funny like that. But, uh, but, you see, so, you know, I, I don't miss schoolwork, but really, if you look at these stages of growth, this is a lot like school. This first stage is like daycare. You don't retain a lot of what you have yet here. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get you ready and mature you so you can get ready for school. So once you mature and grow here, then... You enter into this relationship stage, this, that you enter into school. And, and this, this beginning in God is a lot like grade school. It's a lot like kindergarten. And in kindergarten, I don't remember the teacher ever... Te- Miss Lumen was my kindergarten teacher. I don't remember Miss Lumen ever coming and telling me, Brett, when you go home, I want you to color me three pictures, take a 15-minute nap, and see me in the morning. No, here you did all of your work in class. You can take a lot of it home. You did all of your work in class, beginning in God. Next, close this next stage, close to God, this is like high school. In high school, you had to do some work outside of class. You didn't do it all in the classroom. You had to take some home, okay? Um, if, if, if you want to get close to God, you've got to start doing some work on your own. You've got to start doing some work on your own. You're going to have to do some work outside of class. This last stage is like college. And what do the professors say in college? They say, I don't care if you come or not. I don't care if you study. Waste your money if you want to. It's not on me to get you to study the material. It's not on me to get you to pass the test. It's on you. And if you're going to grow in God, what you've got to understand is that the responsibility is on us. Listen to me. One hour of church a week is not enough for you to grow in God. It's not enough for you to grow in God. You're going to have to read your Bible on your own. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to, have to uh, find a Bible study on your own. You're going to have to follow a devotional book on your own. You're going to have to listen to preaching, going down the road on the radio or on your phone on your own. Those are things that you're going to have to do on your own. You're going to have to do work outside the class. Now, Psalm 19, 119 is a psalm that talks about your precepts, your statutes, your commandments, your laws, and these are all synonyms for the Word of God. Satan can steal the Word of God out of your heart, but did you know that there's a verse in Psalms 119 that will help you avoid that? And it's Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin Against God. Remember, when persecution, persecution arose, they stumbled. Well, how do I fix that? How do I keep Satan from stealing the Word and choking the Word and persecuting the Word and stealing it away from me? How do I do that? Well, there's a Scripture word for it that's called meditate. But there's another word that helps us understand that Scripture word, and that is the word memorize. It's the word Memorize Some of the best scripture on hiding the Word of God in your heart is Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf also shall not wither. Another good scripture on this is, is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Meditate on the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Listen, when I was beginning in God, what helped me more than anything else in this stage was memorizing this book was getting as much of it in my heart as I could. Listen, Christian, baby Christian, you find you an easy to read translation of the Bible and you fall in love with that book. You do it. Or that persecution is going to come up one day and you're going to fall away. And if the apostles can fall away, me and you can fall away today. The young believer was discouraged in his attempts to read and study and memorize and remember the word. And he, he said, you know what? No matter how much I read, I, 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 I never remember the Bible. It's just it's no use. I always forget what I read. So a wise pastor said, look, take heart. When you pour water over a sieve, you're never going to retain much of it. But at least you'll have a clean sieve. Now listen to me, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is to never turn the faucet off. Me and you are the broken vessel, and the only way we'll ever stay full is to never turn the faucet off. This is the faucet. Grace gets me a relationship with God. But what gets me discipleship is God's word.